This Lent journey is a journey of descent, a journey where we remember the suffering of Christ, a journey where we recall Jesus's sacrificial love. This season, we recognize our brokenness, we contemplate our mortality, and we sit with our grief. This Lent journey is one where we stop and recognize the truth that life is beautiful, but also painful for all of us. Indeed, Easter is on its way, but we're not there yet because this is wilderness time. And though we walk through this wilderness time, we're not lost here as we take the hand of Christ as our guide. And though we walk through the wilderness, we are not alone here because Jesus companions and carries us along. And we walk through the wilderness but we're not hopeless here because we see God's radiant love dawning in the distance. Indeed, God will show us the way, a way in the wilderness. Well, as we continue in worship, we're reminded that today is actually the sixth Sunday in the season of Lent. It's the first Sunday of Holy Week. And for many of us, we know this day to be called Palm Sunday. You can see by the palms behind me that it's the day that we celebrate where Jesus is riding on a donkey and he's going into uh, Jerusalem in this triumphant entry. You know, people waving palm fronds, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet, if you've been with us, you also know that we've been going on a journey away in the wilderness, exploring Jesus' invitations in challenging times. And so another way in which we can address and refer to this day is Passion Sunday. Passion, the very word that means suffering. It's a day of suffering, of suffering love. And if you're just now joining us, I'd encourage you to go to YouTube. I'd encourage you to check out our podcast and you can revisit some of the major themes, the major sermons that we've been exploring over this time where we've been addressing certain themes and, and certain questions surrounding suffering. Like, what are we supposed to do with pain? Is, is there any growth opportunities through this agony that I'm experiencing? What, what do I do with my grief? Or if I've been rejected, what, what am I supposed to do when I approach someone who's grieving? You know, these questions, these themes of grief and suffering and of loss is what we've been exploring over the last number of weeks. And so today, this Passion Sunday, we're going to also be looking at the very real suffering of abandonment. And so I'd encourage you, to go with me right now to the gospel according to Matthew. As we explore the theme of abandonment, as we go to this gospel of Matthew, we learn that Jesus knows our pain because he suffered greatly. We learn that Jesus teaches us how to pray, how to lament, how to express the very real feelings that we're experiencing. And we also learn that Jesus teaches us to suffer differently. He leads us. He guides us into this wilderness. 
into this wilderness where at the end of the journey, we can actually find hope. Hope, even as we look to the cross. So again, Matthew chapter 27, we're going to be reading from verses 45 through 50. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. At once, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. You know, when I reflect on that phrase, when I hear that refrain, it haunts me. That refrain of Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It haunts me, not because it's unfamiliar, but because it feels so familiar. It was in 2006, in this very sanctuary where I was sitting in one of these pews surrounded by a great group of worshipers crying out to God at the top of their voice, worshiping and praising God. And I found myself in that pew at that moment, silent. I couldn't open my mouth. I couldn't say the words, at least not with authenticity. I was inside wrestling with God. That same question, my God, my God, where are you? Why? Where have you gone? Why have you abandoned me? And I know many of you have experienced real abandonment. The abandonment of a parent, the abandonment of a spouse, of a close friend, of a colleague. You've experienced the abandonment maybe of a community. And in this, this abandonment, you experience real, intense suffering. And this question, these questions, why God? Where are you, God? This is not unique to Jesus. This is not unique to me or to you. This is a very human question. Where are you? Have you abandoned me? And if we're not careful, we could take our own experiences of abandonment and we can project them onto God and onto God's character. And so today, as we explore this invitation of Jesus, we will learn the truth about who God is and who we are. So I invite you to continue. Let's go there together. Let's journey into this wilderness together. 
this very human question. And in the midst of this very human question, we learn that Jesus enters in. And Jesus not only enters into this very human question, but if we're willing, Jesus wants to lead us. Jesus wants to teach us the truth regarding our reality. And so I hope that today that we will find this way in the wilderness, that we will discover Jesus's invitation that in our real feelings of abandonment, there is hope. So again, let's go back to this passion story. We find this again in Matthew 27, but we're gonna be looking at verse 45. It says, from noon on, Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. You know, if this was an original television series, where we find ourselves in Jesus's story is, is that last season of Jesus's life. In fact, we're close to the last episode of Jesus's life. And so if you're just now entering into this television series, you might find yourself asking like, what happened? I'm kind of lost. Like what happened in the previous episode? Like what happened before noon? A lot happened before noon. You know, if you want, I would encourage you to go back again to YouTube or wherever you find a podcast and listen to Pastor Drew's sermon, Away in the Wilderness. There he addresses two significant themes, betrayal and denial. And there it'll help you, lead you up to this very moment. But if you don't, it's okay, stick with me. I'm gonna give you a little bit of background of what happened before noon. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was abandoned by one of his closest companions, a man named Judas, a man Jesus entrusted with the financial well-being of his small community, of these 12 disciples, Judas had you know, access to the finances. And it was Judas who led the chief priests, the Roman soldiers. It was Judas who brought them to where Jesus was so that they could arrest him. Judas betrayed Jesus for pennies. It was like 30 pieces of silver. Judas sold Jesus out. And Judas wasn't the only one of Jesus' disciples to sell Jesus out. He wasn't the only one to abandon Jesus. In fact, they all did. If you look at the gospel according to Mark, you learn that all of the disciples fled at the time of Jesus' arrest. You might be asking yourself, but I, I know this story. I thought Peter, I thought Peter stayed. Didn't Peter defend Jesus? Yeah, like in this kind of flailing episode of Peter grabbing a sword and like flailing it at this, this servant of a soldier, cutting off his ear. Jesus is like, Peter, put that away. In fact, in the gospel, according to Mark, we learn of a, a disciple that was so terrified in the moment that he was in his underwear and he goes off running and the, the soldiers grabbed his underwear and he flees naked. Like that's how terrified the disciples were. They all fled. They all abandoned Jesus. Peter follows Jesus a little bit closer and he gets caught and someone sees him and says, oh, I know who you are. Aren't you one of Jesus' closest friends? What's, what's Peter's response? I do not know the man. Peter not only denies Jesus once, but denies Jesus three times. Peter, all of the disciples sell Jesus out. And it wasn't just the disciples 
that abandoned Jesus, his whole spiritual community abandoned Jesus. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus made it a practice, a, a regular occurrence every week to go to the synagogue, his local synagogue. He would go there to learn, to grow, to worship. And there were even times where the religious leaders gave him opportunities to preach. And yet it was the same religious uh, leaders that were the ones, his, his spiritual fathers and mothers, his, his spiritual sisters and brothers, his spiritual community, that were the ones that were plotting for his arrest, that were plotting for his death. You know how important spiritual community is. We know how important our spiritual community is to our well-being to our emotional, our relational, our physical, our spiritual health. It is so vital. And in this moment, Jesus is not only abandoned by his disciples, but he's abandoned by his religious community, his spiritual home. And if that's not enough, Jesus is also abandoned by the very system that was put in place to protect him. Did you know that Jesus was interrogated six times in 24 hours up to this point? Six times. He received interrogations from, you know, he got grilled by the spiritual leaders. He got grilled by the Roman officials. And in all six times, at the end of it, there's this exasperated Roman official, Pontius Pilate. And what does he do? He washes his hands of it. Why? because Jesus did nothing wrong. And yet Jesus is sentenced to the most excruciating punishment humanity could ever imagine at the time. He was sentenced to the cross. That's where we get the word excruciating. Crucifixion, excruciating comes from that word crucifixion. And yet why? Why would Jesus be sentenced to the cross he did nothing wrong. There is no justification. There was no justice. Jesus was sold out by the very system that was there to protect him. And it wasn't just the system. In all six interrogations, there wasn't one witness who would stand up and speak out against the injustice that they knew was taking place. At this point, all of this happened before noon and we find Jesus on the cross, literally abandoned by the entire world. All of this before noon. I think about that. I think about Jesus on the cross. Imagine what he might be feeling in that moment. And I am reminded of Jesus in the wilderness where he was being tempted by Satan three different times to just take the easy way out, just get out of the wilderness. And I imagine Jesus with this intense self-restraint, the amount of self-restraint he had to have in that moment. I mean, all of this abandonment takes place, but that doesn't even like take into the account of the, the whippings and the beatings and the spitting, and the mocking. All of that, at any point, all Jesus had to do, all he had to do, one word. One word, and legions of angels would have come to his rescue. 
in just one simple word, he could have been done with the entire thing. And yet Jesus demonstrates real self-restraint. Jesus suffers. Jesus demonstrates for us what passionate love looks like. We find ourselves again in, in Matthew chapter 27, and this is what we've learned up until noon. It says that in 27 verse 45, from noon on darkness came over the whole of the land until three in the afternoon. And I have to ask the question, well, what happened at three? What happened at three o'clock in the afternoon? Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. In about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Matthew makes it a point to highlight the fact that Jesus cries out with a loud voice. Jesus exclaims. Jesus is shouting in a manner that all could hear. And he's speaking in a language that everyone could understand. He is speaking in this moment in Aramaic, translated now into English, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, many have come to various conclusions regarding what is happening in this moment. I don't believe that there's a theologian that can adequately explain what is really happening within the Trinity at Calvary. And yet, in my study, in my reflections, in my meditation, I believe with every fiber of my being that something amazing is taking place that I had never seen before, that maybe many of those who are looking at the cross would have had no concept of, they might not have been able to grasp the reality of what was taking place. See, this, this thing that Jesus is saying is actually an invitation and Jesus is inviting us into something that when we see it, that when we trust it, I believe it changes everything. So I want you to picture this scene again with me. Jesus on the cross. It's about three in the afternoon. There's dark clouds literally hovering above his head. All eyes are on him to see what will happen next. And Jesus with a shout so loud that everyone could hear him. Speaking in a language that everyone would understand. Quotes the first verse of a popular hit single. Yeah, that's what was happening. I don't know if you know that, but can you believe it? That Jesus, who could have said anything in this moment, actually quotes a song. Why didn't he use his own like original material? Like why is Jesus quoting someone else? And who is Jesus quoting? He's quoting the psalmist. Psalms 22. But why? That's the question. Why is Jesus quoting Psalm 22? Why didn't he come up with this original phrase? Like, why does Jesus choose to use this line? Jesus, in his final moments before Easter, 
when he had everyone's attention, Jesus takes this moment, this time to teach. He takes this moment to lead us to the truth, something that is so counterintuitive, so opposite of the common thought of the day. You see, it was common to think that anyone who hung on a cross must be cursed. And since Jesus hung on a cross, he must be cursed. God abandons those who are on crosses. They must have deserved it and God must have willed it. That, that is God's way of saying, you know what? You're getting what you deserved. That's what everyone would have thought. Clearly, God has turned his face away, they would have said. But Jesus, quoting Psalm 22, is not making a theological statement. Rather, he is calling out, he is shouting, he is crying in agony in order to name the very thing that everyone would have been thinking so that he could point the community toward the truth. See, Jesus is our rabbi. Yes, if we call ourselves disciples, that means we call ourselves his students. And Jesus continues to teach even to his very last breath. In his last moments, he chooses to use the Psalms to lead us. You know, the thing about the Psalms is that they're a prayer book. They're a hymnal. They're kind of like a, a you know, ancient song sheet for the people of Israel. You know, if you're an Israelite during this time and, and you're wanting to express praise to God, where would you go? The Psalms. If you wanted to give thanks to God, where would you go? The Psalms. If you wanted to cry out in celebration and affirm the character of who God is, where would you go? You would go to the Psalms. And if you wanted to lament, if you wanted to express the very real feelings of pain and suffering that you're enduring, but don't have the words, where would you go? You'd go to the Psalms. So Jesus, like every good song leader, I mean, Jesus is like the worship leader of all worship leaders. And here he is offering us the first lyric of Psalm 22. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. If I said that first line, and maybe if I actually sang it in tune and you could actually distinguish what song I'm singing, but that's beyond the point. If I were to sing that song, you might be able to finish that sentence. There is no turning, of, or there's no shadow of turning with thee. All I've been given, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. That song, you can finish the lyric because I just give you a line. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus gives us a line. The problem is, is that we don't know Psalms 22. But it was so familiar for everyone else. They would have known exactly what Jesus was doing. And so what do we do? What do we do when Jesus quotes the first line of Psalm 22? Well, we need to do what all the other Israelites would have done. We need to sing the psalm. 
And in our case, we actually need to read it. We need to read it. We need to read the Psalm 22 in order to determine who God really is. And before we get there, I want to remind us that this is what, yes, Jesus is teaching us. Jesus is reminding us of who God really is, but this isn't something new. God has always reminded God's people of who God really is. Think about it. God reminds Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 31 saying, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never, he will never leave you or forsake you. Again, God reminds Joshua of the truth of who God is, saying, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. This is the very essence of the gospel, the incarnational God in the flesh, good news that God is with us. God is with us. Our God actually goes with us through, not around, not over, not under, but through the very real suffering we experience. Jesus enters into our mess, not so that God doesn't have to. Jesus is God who chose to. So God in the person of Jesus enters into our mess, not to leave us alone, not to abandon us in our most dire need, but to overcome evil, sin, and death, to deal with it all once and for all. Jesus says, yes, in this world, you will have trouble. And we know this church, take heart, I've overcome the world. So when Jesus quotes the psalmist saying, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He's not making a theological statement. Has God really abandoned Jesus? No. Did God really abandon the psalmist? No. Well, how do you know, pastor? You have to read the psalm. You have to read Psalm 22. Let's keep reading Psalm 22 together. In the beginning, right, in Psalm 22, verses one, we learn of Jesus's quote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but find no rest. Jesus's invitation in our wilderness in this moment is lament. It's okay. It's okay to cry out to God, to express your very real suffering, the very real feelings that God has abandoned you. That's okay. He teaches us. He leads us to lament. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus offers that to us so that we would continue singing the song. We go further into Psalm 22, verses 19 through 23, and we learn this it says, but you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. From the horns of the wild oxen, you have rescued me. 
goes on to say, I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. Why? Why would Jesus invite us to worship in a time like this? Staring at the cross where he is in excruciating pain, why would he call us the congregation to worship? We find the answer in verse 24. Verse 24 changes everything. Verse 24 is the verse that I believe that Jesus is leading us to today. Listen to Psalm 22, verse 24. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. You know, Jesus starts us with this, my God, my God, why? Where are you? But brings us, leads us deeper into the wilderness to this moment where it says, he, God, did not hide his face from me. God has not abandoned me. He heard me when I cried to him. Jesus believes this. Even when the whole world had abandoned him, he believed that God had not abandoned him. So today, you might find yourself asking the very same questions. Why, God? Where are you, God? Why have you abandoned me, God? The invitation for us is to follow Jesus into Psalm 22. That we would sing that song. That we would journey into that song together. That we would lament. That would lead to trust that we would call out for help that leads to worship and that we would rest in the truth. The truth that even though you are suffering, even though you are experiencing significant pain, even though you may feel as though you've been abandoned by God, God has not abandoned you. God is, always has been, and always will be with you. Right there with you in the midst of your suffering, listening to you, weeping with you, caring for you, and rescuing you. See, we serve a God who does not abandon us in our time of need. He does not turn his face away from us. The cross is not a sign of God's abandonment. The cross is not a sign or a symbol of God's wrath. It is the demonstration. It is the exhibition. It is God's passionate love for all humanity on display. On Passion Sunday, Christ liberated us from the slavery of sin. On Passion Sunday, Jesus took death head on and said, Oh, death, where is your sting? He looks at our adversary face to face and says, I'm sorry, is this all you've got? 
He looks Satan straight in the eyes and says, no, no, no. Today, you, do, you no longer deal with them. Today, you deal with me. And so Jesus on the cross, this Passion Sunday, displays his passionate love for the entire world. And in that moment, sin, death, even Satan himself, all of it has been defeated. The truth is that we worship a God who loves us. We worship a God who will never leave us. We worship a God who will not abandon us, who will never turn his face away. If God's passionate love was strong enough to sustain Jesus on the cross of Calvary, may we allow God's passionate love for us to sustain us in whatever wilderness we find ourselves in today. Let's pray. Lord, how great is your love for us. I am humbled, I stand in awe of you. I'm in awe and wonder at what you accomplished on the cross. I am in awe and wonder of your significant, excruciating, passionate, faithful love for us. That even while we were still sinners, in the midst of our sin, you chose to enter in, you chose to come to us, you chose to lay down your life for us so that we might have life. Lord, you demonstrated your love for us in the most amazing way. Lord, may it sink deep, may it shape us, May it form us. May it change everything in our lives. May we be driven and motivated. May we live out of this true place of being deeply and passionately loved by you. Pray these things for your glory, Jesus. Amen.